Well, last week we started our series in Ephesians, and today we are, actually it was two weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah, two weeks ago. We are continuing that, so open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. The completeness of our salvation, that's the title today. I believe that the more we understand what God has done for us in saving us, the more we as his children will love him and want to serve him. You know, there's a lot of judgment going on today, and because there are Christians who aren't living for Christ the way they should, of course, the Pharisees come out and they say, well, that person's not living the way they should, therefore they must not be saved. Well, I don't know whether they're saved or not, but I'll tell you this, friend, you don't go to heaven by living right, and you don't end up in hell by living wrong, all right? Salvation is based on whether you will trust in Jesus Christ and him alone as your savior or not. And I think it would be wise for us to just have a mentality of trying to lead people to Christ the best we can. And then once we believe they have trusted Christ, then encourage them in the word of God, pray for them, do what we can to encourage them to grow as believers. But I found this over time, believers who don't have a passion for Christ doesn't mean they're not saved. Believers who don't have a passion for Christ means they're believers who don't have a passion for Christ. Okay, the two are not the same. Believers who are indifferent to the Lord in their daily walk, really the issue is this, they have not been spending time at the foot of the cross or meditating on their salvation and what God has done for them in Christ. That's really what it comes down to. It, it truly is a, as it says in Hebrews 2, Verse 3, it truly is a so great salvation that we have in Christ. And this is all the grace of God. Now, with that in mind, today we're looking at more of the benefits that the Lord has provided for us in our salvation. We will also start seeing why the believer is secure in Christ. Something that I have, um, if you've been saved any period of time and have been walking with the Lord, continue to learn his word, you know that we learn truths in layers, right? We learn in layers. We learn something, we kind of got a basic understanding of that truth, and then as time goes on, you learn more about it, and it kind of like builds on that, and then as time goes on, you build on that some more, and you build on that some more. One of the things that has been impressed on my mind recently is how that salvation by grace and with that, completely related to it, not divorced, with that eternal security, how the only way the Bible fits together is once saved, always saved. It's the only way it fits together. If you can lose your salvation, if you can lose your salvation, then everything falls apart. Jesus didn't pay for all your sins. Eternal life doesn't mean eternal life. The Holy Spirit really doesn't seal people when they get saved. More about that next week, by the way. All the things that have to do with our salvation, if you can lose it, which would be, and again, they say, well, I think you can lose it. Well, you, then it's, it's, you believe in work. Oh, no, no, I don't believe in works. Well, sure you do. Sure you do. If you can lose it by not living right, then you're keeping it by living right. By the way, neither of those works because it's not of works, like it says up there. No, the Bible is very clear on this. Ephesians 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, 
to the saints which are at Ephesus. Now there's an issue right there. If eternal security wasn't true, if salvation wasn't simply by faith in Christ, and once you believe you're saved forever, how could Paul have the audacity to call them saints before they died? But because it's not based on what you do, but who you believe in, we can know we're saved. Because it's not based on my works, it's based on the work of Christ, and he did it perfectly. You see, that's one of those issues that I'm talking about. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, who's the us, believers, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us, believers, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Beloveds, masculine, singular, it's talking about Jesus Christ. It's all having to do with being in him. And once you are in Christ, through faith in Christ as your Savior, you are baptized into the body of Christ. You are in Christ. And once you're in Christ, there's all these benefits. God has a plan for those in Christ. Let me say this. I preached my heart out last Sunday. The athletes would say, he left it all on the field. Okay, that's kind of grotesque, but you get the idea. But then I had somebody who emailed and was accusing me of having Calvinistic teaching in my, in my message last week. I don't know how you got it, but Calvinistic teaching. Let me tell you, friend, here's the thing. People don't understand foreknowledge. I believe with all my heart that is the key to understanding all the stuff about election, chosen, predestination, predetermined, all of that. No, God knows in eternity who will put their faith in Jesus Christ the Savior. doesn't make them do it. He knows who will. The offer is open to all mankind of all time. And he has also determined that those he knows will believe He has determined many blessings for the believer. And in him, when he talks about those he chosen in him, he's talking about believers. Do you see that in verse four? According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, what? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. When did he choose us? He chose us while we're in Christ. In other words, once you believe these are the benefits of being a believer. He knows who will do it, who will trust Christ, that's foreknowledge. But he doesn't choose you to believe, okay? He doesn't make you believe. He knows who will believe, but anyone can believe. The offer is to whosoever will, right? Now, we are, once we're in Christ, we're accepted in the beloved one in Jesus Christ, Okay, as I mentioned last week, if this Bible is Jesus and my pen is me, when I trusted Christ as Savior, I was put into Christ. And when God looks at me, he sees me through his son. I am in Christ. I am in Christ. And therefore, just like the father loves the son, he loves me. He loves me. Just like the father accepts the son, he accepts me. Why? Because I'm accepted in Christ. 
That's what it says in verse 6. Now let's move on. His grace was manifested to us in what he did in providing eternal life through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and, of course, his resurrection from the dead. Ephesians 1.7, it says this, in whom, referring to Jesus, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, usually it's not a fault that women have, but guys have a fault many times, not all guys, okay? We get accused sometimes of eating too fast. Eating too fast. You're eating so fast, you can't enjoy your food, okay? Well, okay, we're going to listen to that today. We are going to slow it down, and we are going to enjoy the food God has given us through the Scriptures here. We're going to spend some time savoring some of these concepts that he's given us because these are all privileges of ours and blessings that we have in Christ. Verse 7 again, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. What do we see first? We see number one, he has redeemed us. He has redeemed us. To redeem means to deliver by paying a price. Growing up, we had these things called S&H green stamps. How many of you remember those? Wow, look at all the hands. That's amazing. S&H green stamps. And you go and they had a store where all the things you could get with S&H green stamps. And you'd usually get them at the supermarket. That's where we got them. You buy your, you know, and then they, this machine spit out the stamps or the, the uh, cashier would give them to you. And you take these stamps, you go home, you've got these books and you lick them and you put them in the books and then you save those up. And then when you get enough, you've got a catalog. And when you get enough, you go to the S&H store and you would buy something with those stamps. But the language was different. I changed the language on purpose. Let's get back to the original, oh, the original language of the S&H store. The store wasn't called a store. It's called a redemption center. You remember that? And you didn't use money to buy something out of the store. Now, those things in the store were captive. They were right there, some of them behind the glass. Those things were captive. The only way you could get them out of the captivity is to provide the price. And when you provided that, you redeemed them. You delivered them from the bondage of that store, the redemption center. Now listen, we as people come into this world, we are in the slave market of sin the slave market. We are slaves to sin. We are in bondage. But there is somebody who loves me and loves you so much that he said, you know what? I want to deliver that person. I want to buy that person. I want to redeem that person out of the slave market of sin. And that person is Jesus. To redeem means to deliver by paying a price. To pay a price in order to secure the release of something or someone. It connotes the idea of paying what is required in order to liberate from oppression, from enslavement, or any other type of binding obligation. This is what Jesus has done 
for you and me through his payment on the cross. Jesus has redeemed us out of the slave market of sin. Now let's look a little deeper on this, okay? Because the question has to come up. What was the price that was paid? It wasn't a booklet of stamps or several booklet of stamps. The price that was paid to redeem us out of the slave market of sin was the blood of Jesus Christ. The literal blood of Jesus Christ. Hold your place here and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Isn't it wonderful? We're studying Ephesians and then right in the same Bible we have Peter. Ephesians written by Paul, we have Peter talking about this same issue. And it says this in 1 Peter 1 verse 18, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation or manner of life, received by tradition from your fathers, you weren't redeemed with corruptible things, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. You see it in the Old Testament, the Passover lamb, okay? That is a picture of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you and me. Look over to Hebrews with me, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, verse 22. It says, And almost all things are by the law purged or cleansed with blood. Now look what it says. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Without shedding of blood is no remission. Now the word remission means forgiveness. There's no forgiveness unless blood is shed. And so what Jesus did in going to the cross and shedding his blood, pouring out his blood on the cross, that was a literal necessary thing that had to be done. Let me put it this way. If somebody would have come along and said, okay, Jesus needs to die, and they clubbed him on the head, and they hit him in the head, and he fell down dead, that would not be the same. His blood had to be poured out. That's why what took place on Calvary took place on Calvary. It was God's doing. But a literal blood payment had to be made as payment for our sins. Look at chapter 9, back it up to verse 12. It says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, I want you to think about this, folks. What Jesus did, he entered in by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. There is no second payment for sin. There is no second price to be paid for sin. Now listen carefully. When he died on the cross, he paid the complete price for our sins. Yet there are people who say, well, you can get saved, but then you can lose it again. Okay, friend, if you can lose your salvation, then how are you going to get saved again? How are you going to get saved You got saved because Jesus paid the price for your sins. If you can lose your salvation, you're telling me that you need another payment for those sins since you lost your salvation. I got news for you. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. 
The payment Jesus made was 100% sufficient. Now, if the payment he made took care of all my sin, and it did, because you notice what it provides? Eternal redemption for us. See why once saved, always saved has to be true? When Jesus came, there I was in bondage in the slave market of sin. He came and he said, I love you. I am going to pay the price to deliver you out of the slave market. He paid the price and that payment he made was completely sufficient. And what he provided for me was eternal redemption. I was redeemed forever out of the slave market of sin. That's what eternal redemption means. I was redeemed forever. This is magnificent. This is awesome. This is what we have in Christ. There's no second price to be paid. By the way, that's why when he died on the cross, he said it's finished. And the word finished means paid in full. The redemption price was done. That's why, friend, once you have salvation, you have it forever, no matter what, no matter what. Let's move on, though. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So what was the price paid? The blood of Christ. But secondly, under that, he's the only source of redemption. He's the only source. Nowhere in the Bible will you find any room, any room, for man's good works or good deeds as a means of salvation, redemption, or the forgiveness of sins. It's nowhere found in Scripture. We need to shout this out. We need to let the world know. Because folks, they don't know. They're confused. Even Christians are confused about it. Not only that, but let's move on. The only kind of redemption he provides is eternal redemption. That's the only kind. This again points to eternal security. So we have been delivered forever. This means that once you are saved, you can never be lost again. Now I know people say, well, wait a minute though. Uh, You believe it, 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 you know, once you're saved, you're saved forever. So it's okay to go out and just live in sin. It's okay to go live in sin. No one ever said it's okay to go live in sin. When did I say that? I've never said that since the day I got saved in 1972. We will still sin. God doesn't want us to sin, but we will still sin. But the good news is that sin has been paid for through Christ. He made one payment for sin forever. He sat down at the right hand of God and it provided eternal redemption for me. There's nothing I can do to lose my salvation. Now, I can abuse that truth and try to go take a path of sin, and God will deal with me as his child when he sees fit. But here's the point, folks. Here's the point. Nothing I can do will take away my salvation. No, God doesn't want me to go live a life of sin. He wants me to live for him. That's what the Bible says. But see, that's a matter of choice. That's a matter of choice. The choices we make every day. Why? Because God created us with a will that can make choices. We have the power to make choices. You can never be lost again, though. But we have not only been redeemed forever. We go back to Ephesians now. We have not only been redeemed forever, but number two, he has forgiven us. He has forgiven 
us. You notice it in verse 7 again, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, what is forgiveness? Give you a little insider personal thing here. This is one of my favorite Bible words because it is so incredibly graphic and wonderful. When you start understanding the scope of the concept of forgiveness, friends, you can't help but be gripped by it and love the Lord more. What is forgiveness? It means, literally, it means freedom to send away, to be set free, to let go. So get the picture. Jesus comes, dies on the cross, pays the redeeming price. He pays the price of my redemption. He comes, he saves me. When I trust Christ as Savior, he saves me, and the payment he made is good on my behalf. He redeems me out of the slave market of sin. Now catch this, he redeems me, and then he says this, you're free. That's forgiveness. You're free. You might say, ooh, it kind of makes me nervous. Why does it make you nervous? Man, we ought to be jumping up, clicking our heels. If you can do that. If you can't do that, don't hurt yourself, okay? (laughs) One lexicon says this. It means to cause, to stand away, to release one's sins from the sinner. I have been delivered. I have been set free. Forgiveness, to send off, to send away. One source says the wrong is cut out, sent off, and sent away from the wrongdoer. The sin is separated from the sinner. God says, I've taken care of your sin. Now you are free. Now you are free. Now, yes, do we still sin as Christians when we choose to? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But we are set free. You see, because the Lord was satisfied with the payment Jesus made on the cross, he can forgive us. Now, listen very carefully. Because Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sins doesn't mean you're forgiven. You must put your faith in him that he did that for you. Then you are forgiven. But until he paid for your sin, you couldn't be forgiven. Why? Because God is a holy God. He is a just God. He demands payment for sin. We use the illustration often, right? Here we are, you and me, my wallet representing our sin. We're all sinners. God loves us though. He hates our sin, but he loves us. You cannot get to heaven with sin. You have to be sinless in the eyes of God. Your sin has to be gone. Has to be sent away. Released from you. But we're sinners. We're separated from God because of that sin. If we die with our sin, we will have to not only die physically, but spiritually be separated from God for all eternity. No second chances. Suffering forever in hell. Keep listening. This is the truth of it. That's the bad news. Man still thinks, oh, I can do good works and that'll atone for my sin. No, it won't. Good works will not pay for sin. The Bible says, it says right up here, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Here is the truth, because there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Jesus, loving us, came to earth. God the Son took on flesh. Sin representing him. And when the perfect one went to the cross, the Passover lamb, the lamb without blemish or without spot, he went to the cross, he took our sins upon himself, and when he shed his blood, he paid the price, the redemption price for that sin. 
leaving us nothing to pay for. He was buried and he rose from the grave. He says this, if you will believe in me that I did that for you, I will redeem you. I will forgive all your sins. I give you everlasting life. I give you eternal redemption. You're my child. You're in me. And all the benefits are going to come to you simply because you, by faith, put your trust in me. This is magnificent, folks. This is magnificent. Because the Lord was satisfied with the payment Jesus made on the cross, he can forgive us. When we believe in Christ as our Savior, he brings us into acceptance and freedom, liberty in Christ. I know there are people today say, well, God will forgive you if you ask to be forgiven. You don't have to ask to be forgiven. Did you know that? It's not how you're saved. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, ask for forgiveness and you'll be saved. No, it simply puts your faith in Jesus Christ that he died and paid for all your sins and rose from the grave. Forgiveness is on God's part. He's the one who does the forgiving. You don't have to ask for it. He says, hey, it's included in the package. Forgiveness is one of my benefits to you. You put your faith in Christ, you are forgiven. You don't have to worry about it. Asking is not a requirement. It happens the moment you believe. When you by faith accept the payment Jesus made as your own, you receive forgiveness that moment. Let me show this to you very clearly. Look with me to Acts chapter 13. Here's Paul preaching. He's talking about Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And it says in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39, look at it. It says, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, referring to Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness. This is the result of what Jesus did. This is what he was talking about. And by him, through what he did on the cross, and by him, all that believe are justified from all things. Now, class, we've been through this before. What does the word all mean? It's 100% of all that is. All means all, right? Justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Trying to keep the Ten Commandments, it'll never justify you. The word justify means to be declared as righteous. God is the one who justifies. God is the one who declares you as righteous. When does that take place? Just like everything else. The moment you believe, bam, you're redeemed. You're a saint. You've got heaven. You've got eternal life. You have eternal redemption. You have forgiveness. All simply through faith in Christ. Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing. All that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. You mean that God will forgive me of everything I've done wrong or even will do wrong in the future? Is that what you're saying? Yes. This is good news. That's what the word gospel means. It is because all your sins have been paid for that you can know this and you can know you have forgiveness. You can know you're going to heaven because, listen, this is so good. You can know you're going to heaven because you can't go to hell. (gasps) Listen, there's a lot of people going, (gasps) who when they die, they're not going to heaven. Because they still think that there is some good work they have to do, some act of religion they have to do to earn the favor of God. God says, you cannot earn my favor. 
It is unmerited favor. That's what the word grace means. It's unmerited. Now, what would cause God to come up with such a plan? According to verse 7, I just mentioned it. Grace. Grace. You notice in Ephesians 1.7, according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. The wealth of The abundance, that's what riches is. The wealth or abundance of his grace. This plan, this incredible plan, this this almost unbelievable plan, but I'm glad we can believe it. It's all based on the grace of God. It's a gift of the grace of God. Grace, unmerited favor, unmerited. You don't deserve it. We can't earn it. You might say, what would move God to do something like this to sacrifice his son His only begotten son to sacrifice him, to cause his son to be the payment for sin on that cross, to be made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What would cause God to do such a thing? There's only one word for it, grace, grace. It was grace and the action itself was love. Grace moved our Lord and love was the action of the cross. It's amazing. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Are you savoring the food today? I hope you are. Romans chapter 5. What God provides is just magnificent. It says in Romans 5 verse 20, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. God gave the commandments. Why? To show us how sinful we really were and how much we needed a Savior. That's why God gave the commandments. God never gave the commandments as a means of getting to heaven. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. See, if you could keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, and really the commandments are more than just the Ten, there's, what is it, 637, something like that, in the law. But if you could keep them, that would mean you're perfect. If you're perfect, you don't need a Savior. But we're not perfect because we can't keep them. And the fact that we can't keep them shows us that we're sinners. And if we're sinners, we need a Savior. And by the way, that includes Mary. I just thought I'd throw that in. She said she rejoiced in God, her Savior. Well, if she needed a Savior, she was a sinner because if you're not a sinner, you don't need a Savior. Do you get it? Oh, pastor, don't be so hard on Catholics. I'm not being hard on Catholics. I'm offering... God's offer of eternal life is a gift, but you have to come his way. And most of you know, I was a Catholic. Matter of fact, I was named after a Catholic priest, Thomas. We had a priest in our family, Father Tom. That's what he, God has a sense of humor is all I can say <laughs> with all of that. By the way, he left the priesthood and got married and had a family. That's what I heard. Is that accurate? Yeah, okay, asking my brother. Back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1 verse 8. So we've seen redemption. We've talked about the forgiveness of our sins. We've talked about the grace of God. Verse 8. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. You notice in verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. What is it? I think it's referring to verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things 
in Christ. You notice the dispensation of the fullness of time. Two things here. Number one, you notice people say, well, I'm not a dispensationalist. I'm reform. I'm covenant theology. Too bad. Dispensationalism's in the Bible. It's right there. Not only that, but what is the dispensation of the fullness of time? That's referring to the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year rule and reign of Jesus on the planet, yet future. It is the thousand-year literal reign of Christ on earth, on earth. When does it take place? It takes place on earth. When Jesus comes back, okay, he will rule and reign forever, but a thousand years of that ruling and reigning, which is the first part, will be on this literal planet that we're living on today. I don't mean to get off track, but let me just say this. Don't be afraid of climate change. Number one, it may be a farce. Number two, if it isn't a farce, it doesn't matter because God controls the weather. And no matter what man does, okay, whether he quits eating beef because cows pass gas, I guess is the thing, or whatever. Well, if we could just cut that out and get people to ride bicycles instead of drive cars all over the planet, everything will be good. Man has no answers. God has the answers. And he says, your solution begins with you trusting my son as your savior. And then you're my child and you have everlasting life. And guess what? You are going to die one day, regardless of whether it's hot or cold. But once you trust Christ, you have the guarantee to live forever with God in heaven. Man, that sounds good to me. And that is the truth. This kingdom is coming. At that time, all believers of all time will be gathered together on earth and live in the kingdom of Christ. All believers of all time. I believe the Bible teaches that everybody from the beginning, and I believe Adam and Eve were believers. I think Adam and Eve are going to be living in the kingdom. Noah, Abel, I don't know if his brother Cain ever put his faith in Christ or not. I don't know the answer to that. But then all the Old Testament people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they'll all be there. David will be there. All the New Testament saints will be there, will be there in the kingdom during that thousand-year reign of Christ. Isn't that going to be amazing? The curse will be lifted off the planet. It's going to be a marvelous time. You might say, I want to go there. It's one of the benefits to being a child of God. Trust Christ, you'll be there. How will I be sure? Because God promised it. That's why. That he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both are which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. You notice, this is when the Lord brings all his purposes throughout all history to fruition. Notice it includes those which are in heaven and earth. That means that when believers die today, where do they go? They go to heaven. Ephesians 3.15 says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, why do I even make an issue of that? Because you've got some groups, some cults, such as the Seventh-day Adventists, who believe in soul sleep, that you don't go to heaven when you die. You stay in the ground until there's a resurrection. And they confuse the body with the soul. No, the soul does not sleep. The body sleeps, quote unquote. The believer, though, goes to heaven. This is very important. Paul said, therefore, we are always confident knowing while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body. I'll misread it. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the worms. 
Doesn't say that, does it? I'm not sure which translation you're using. No, present with the Lord. When you die as a believer, you immediately go into the presence of God. Back to Ephesians 1, it says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated, we as believers. Believers have been predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Predestinated to what? Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Our third point, last point today is this. He wants us to be to the praise of his glory. Now this, I believe, this is not only an eternal truth having to do with our position in Christ. The fact is, in light of eternity, we are already glorified. We are already to the praise of his glory, right? When we trusted Christ. But there's a practical side to this. This has to do with the Christian life. As I mentioned last week, God wants us growing as believers to become more and more like Christ. And that life that is like Jesus, that is Christ-like, the maturing believer is going to be godly in their character, and that is to the praise of his glory. And so here is our perfect standing in Christ, which never changes in all eternity, and you've got it no matter how you live. But God says, okay, I've saved you for a reason— And I want you now to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you do, your walk will be coming more in harmony with your position in Christ. So your condition, God wants it to be more and more in line and in harmony with our position in Christ. But the position never changes. Some Christians are like this, not good. Unfortunately, some are like this, going up and then they just tank, they fall away but they've got their position that never changes. They're going to be in heaven. They've just made a mess of life. That's not a good place to be. When we go home to be with the Lord through either death or rapture, we will experience our glorification. But while we're still here, the Lord wants us to grow for him. And when a believer is yielded to the Lord and obedient to him, a transformation can take place in the life. That's what Christian growth and maturity is about. And that's God's will for all of his children. That transformed character brings glory to God and causes people to praise him. And we're going to close over in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. So how do you get in on this? Very simple. And I've already mentioned it, but perhaps you're here today and you've never heard these things before. That's possible. That's not in any way talking down to you. We are just so excited and privileged to share it with you. We want you to be a child of God. We want you to be part of the family. We want you that when the rapture of the church church takes place, that you're going up with us, right? Wouldn't it be great if it, if it like took place like any, any second, it would be wonderful if every person in this room disappeared and all the Bibles would just, the notebooks would just plop to the floor and smartphones just plop to the floor. I hope that's the case. If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ, the Savior, would you do it today? Look at John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Two promises. If you put your faith in Christ, you trust in him, you believe in him as your Savior, that he died and paid for your sins, and rose from the grave, you won't perish. That's the promise of Jesus. That means go to hell, but you have everlasting life. That means you go to heaven. 
For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How many people can be saved? The world, all. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So would you trust Christ as your Savior today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.